0: so welcome to the podcast um this week i'm chatting to paul um and we are chatting about pediatric ecgs welcome to the podcast oh thanks for having me ben Mate, stoked um i've known you for a couple years working at uh, another hospital and actually had the pleasure of working with you at the city surf
1: yes Um, back before COVID times when we all had a life (laughs)
0: we didn't have to wear masks
1: yes and get out and (laughs) about and
0: which was an epic um that was cool yes um now we're going through pediatric ecgs um number one why pediatric ecgs it's a very sort of
1: you know it's a scary topic for most people yes and there's a few little nuances that once you get the hang of it it makes sense and ecgs in general you can pick out a whole range of information and get a lot of patient details and diagnoses and help the patient just from looking at their ecg okay and go on a deep dive into it and
0: Mm, get into it
1: yes which is cool um yeah so we're going to run through some indications
0: for doing pediatric ecgs some differences compared to adults and then your systematic approach to doing ecgs um which will be really helpful um and we're also going to go through some case studies yes which i think case studies are really helpful because um they bring all of the medicine to light
1: yes exactly cool all
0: right run us through indications so we're working in ed um, and we want to know an indication on when we should
1: do a paediatric ECG. Yeah, exactly, and I think like every test we do an e- ED, we need to think in our mind what we're trying to answer and what question we need answers to. Mm-hmm. So we just can't do the ECG or the blood test or x-ray just because we've got the equipment and, or the patients in front of us. And kids present a lot differently to adults. So mm-hmm. in adults, we're doing the ECGs for chest pain mm-hmm. most commonly, and we want to rule out those STEMIs. Uh, But the kids don't get the STEMIs. No. (laughs) No. I be worried if they (laughs) weren't. Absolutely. Um, So there can be a whole range of indications. Um, Some of them are congenital, uh, mostly for kids. Some of them might be metabolic. Just see what sort of arrhythmias or any sort of metabolic effects they might have. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just the screening ones as well. So the kids that come in with a chest pain, they come in poor feeding, uh, they come in with... um, like a syncopal episode, um, feeling lightheaded, um, sometimes the family history. So if there's family history of hokum or prolonged QTC, yep. want to rule that out in the children. Or if you see the heart rate's abnormal on the monitor yep. and you want to look at what the underlying rhythm is okay. to see if they do have some sort of um, arrhythmia. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. Mm. Um, now we're going to talk about some differences compared to adults. We know okay. a standard 12 lead, we see P waves, QRS complexes, T yep. waves... Um, but what are some differences that you can sort of think about compared to yeah. um,
1: adults? So there's huge amount of differences between the paediatrics and adults, mm-hmm. and there's huge amount of differences within paediatrics as well. So you've got to look at the newborns compared to infants, compared to children, to adolescents, to teenagers. Okay. They're not so just there's a, small adults. Exactly. There's huge differences. So you've got to think when the baby's born, they come out, Um, There's a lot of circulation changes from when they're in the womb. Tell me about some of those circulation changes that you know of. Yeah, Yeah, so prior to birth, the baby has all their um, oxygen and blood supply from the placenta. Mm -hmm. And then once they're born, this changes. Um, Once they start taking their first breaths in the first few moments of life, uh, the cardiac output changes, the blood flow in their lung and lung expansion changes, and the number of ducts and um, uh, neonatal systems change. So they're born with a and ovale, um, there's a ductus venus and a ductus arteriosus that all have to close and change in those first few breaths. And so when they come out, having been um, they come out they're very right heart dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that on the ECG as well. Cool. Uh, a few things to look out for. And then as they grow in the first few months of life uh, that right heart dominance changes their circulation changes a little bit, and their um, cardiac output and can also change.
0: Wow, it's crazy, isn't it? Just from being from the breath and the total change in physiology. Yes, absolutely. How it operates, almost like you've, you've kicked in from two-wheel drive to four-wheel drive. Exactly, yes. it's a whole new change. And then for you too, doing ECGs, that we do them on neonates, we can do them on pediatric patients, and we can do them on like adolescence yes and how you interpret those yes be different. and
1: then as they grow up um the heart rate changes the mm. intervals change the qrs complex sizes can change yep. so there's a whole range of things to be aware of just for each age group cool. as well
0: and we're going to put a little table at the end of the podcast for people that want to know about ranges and ages for yes. qrs complexes and people and
1: link for a few articles and references as well awesome cool
0: that's good um, and also, when you're doing an ECG, do you, um, we're talking about a systematic approach to an ECG, because it could be confusing when you get an ECG to yes. say, who, who is this on? As a
1: registrar, you'd be getting multiple ECGs thrown in your face. Absolutely, yep. and we need a systematic approach so we don't miss things either, and yep. we're thorough. So we're always starting from the beginning, yep. have a few checklists in our head, a few things to rule out, and then determine what's going on with that ECG.
0: Okay. How do you... Um teach or how do you approach it do you generally like write on your ecg and write like i don't know age presenting problem and then do it or how do you approach it
1: yeah sometimes i'll have a scrap piece of paper because there's so many different variables yep. to write down yep and then sometimes you need that scrap piece of paper to uh, mark out uh different timings and different uh, timing intervals as well cool um and then try and put it all together at the end and write a nice little summary
0: nice yes. So run me through it, Paul. What do you do first when you see an ECG? We've got a red piece of paper running right in front of us. Uh, One of the nurses has thrown
1: an ECG in front of you, um, and you're going to look at it. What do you do? Yeah, so I think, first off, uh, check with whoever's handed you the ECG what the patient is, what the presenting complaint is. Mm -hmm. And I always just eyeball the overall ECG quickly first Mm -hmm. to see if it's not some sort of life-threatening arrhythmia. Just make sure they're not in a VT, some sort of VF, or some sort of really fast or really slow rhythm yep. that's going to kill them that you need know, to jump up and um, sort out straight away. Yep. And then you start off with the usual rate-rhythm axis. Okay. Um, Paediatrics, you know, that's going to be quite fast. Um, there's various ways to look at the rate. Um, one of the ways is to just use the rhythm strip down the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, count the number of large boxes between the QRS complexes and then divide that 300 by that number to work out the rate. Um, that's usually best. Mm-hmm. Um, then rhythm. You need to work out if it's sinus or not. And what you need to look at first is the P wave axis. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's missed um, quite frequently. So if we look at the ECG, we know in um, AVR it needs to be a negative P wave mm-hmm. and then in 2 an AVF needs to be positive. Um, if that's not the case, then we know it's not sinus rhythm mm. and it's originating from somewhere other than the sinus node. Okay. You still might have P waves, but it's not an actual sinus rhythm. It's some other ectopic or atrial rhythm, junctional or it's a whole Something range else. of them. So that's one thing. Then looking at the P wave and the QRS complexes mm-hmm. and if it's consistent throughout. Okay. And then going deeper into that. Awesome. Then look at the... Rate and the uh, complexes that you've got in front of you, mm-hmm. describe any ectopics you see, um, then look at if it's Brady, Tacky, that way.
0: And ectopics you generally can see all the way through the ECG? Yes. Yep.
1: Yeah, so if you look at the different leads, um, they will be different depending on which lead it is because it depends on which way the um, myocardium is depolarizing and repolarizing given yep. the various. Um, ectopics.
0: Cool. And with the sinus rhythm in adults, do you see those same sort of features? Yes. The
1: oh, absolutely. Cool. Sweet. Yes.
0: Awesome. Um, now, next, you're looking
1: at the PR? Yes. Cool. So we check the PR interval. Yep. Um, and we know in adults, the PR should be less than 0.2 seconds, which is one big box. And in older children, adolescents, that's still the case. Okay. Um, and any uh, PR interval that's greater than the one big box is going to be long and consistent with the first degree AV block if it's regular. Yep. But in infants and young children, um, they're going to have an even shorter PR interval. So it might be 0.16 or the four small squares will be considered long okay. and could be um, an AV block.
0: Wow. So instead of five, we reduce that down to four. Yes. Okay.
1: So, gotta be aware. Even if you look at the um, readout, what the measurements by the computer is, yep. um, it might not pick it up. But when you to put it into context of the age and the size of the patient, it might actually be a um, AV block.
0: Wow. So, because instead of you see hundred, you'd see you know two hundred milliseconds in an adult. You go yeah, first yeah. degree. Or one hundred and eighty. Yes.
1: So one hundred and eighty thinks normal, but it's going to be prolonged in a in, in a um, small child. Wow. Um, is that
0: because it's running so quickly? No, I think it's also to do
1: with the size as well. So it's not going to take as long to get across that whole heart muscle. So there's a smaller muscle mass.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Look at how the PR interval joins that QRS complex. Um, It might be normal if the QRS is narrow, um, or it might be abnormal. And if the PR is joining that QRS, it might be a pre-excitation arrhythmia. So some of the things we would look for... If someone's got a long PR interval, Mm -hmm. if they've got ASD or an atrial septal defect, uh, hyperkalemia can prolong the PR interval, hypothermia, and also rheumatic heart disease. And then they might also have a fever, and then they might also have a myo or pericarditis as well, affecting that PR interval. Yeah,
0: which we're seeing at the moment, hey, with all...
1: All these post-Pfizer vaccines that we've got to check for.
0: Okay. And ASD is picked up generally... You could see this at, like... Ultrasound can pick up ASDs?
1: Oh you need the ultrasound to confirm it. Confirm, but yep. there's some hints within a um ECG that can... and to um suggest an ASD. Okay. That might prompt you to further investigate depending on the patient's story. Okay,
0: cool. And obviously hyperclean we'll talk about a bit later too. Yes. Yep. And awesome. then there's
1: short PR intervals. Uh most commonly it's the Wolf parkinson White. Yep. Um, which is to do with the pre excitation and the re-entry circuits, but also things like a glycogen storage disease. Um, these metabolic diseases of the newborn Um, you might just do the ECG for some reason and then notice they've got quite a short uh, PR interval and they'll prompt you to think what else could be causing that so they might be just a way to screen for other diseases to affect these children I've never heard of that, okay cool Yes. Um, again how we said the PR interval duration changes like with age, Mm. the QRS length can change as well so for a paediatric, it's normally only one small box, which is 0.04 seconds, um, whereas adults, it could be about three Too small yet. boxes. Um, so if you've got a, a QRS which is more than two small boxes or more than 0.8 seconds, you're going to think it's uh, widened QRS. And you can see the widened QRSs with uh, pre-ventricular complexes, uh, bundle branch blocks, wolf parkinson right, ventricular rhythms, and even with a pacemaker
0: pacemaker in kids wow yeah yeah i've never seen a pacemaker in kids oh they do
1: yeah one of the tricky bits with that is once the child grows if those leads are going to move or how it changes so it's got to have a lot of thought into it and i guess
0: pacemakers generally put in would they be putting for wolf pockets and white kids or kids that have um Um, any sort of cardiac disease
1: or heart blocks um, yeah. even post-cardiac surgery if they've got some other arrhythmias cool Um, And then continuing along that um, complex, we look at the QT interval. Um, And it's important to check the QT interval in children because prolonged QTC um, syndrome can result in sudden death. Um, So you must check it in every um, ECG. So this is an important point. Oh, yes. Okay. And it's important um, to pick this up early in kids as well because it has lifelong implications. Mm. So it often runs in families. Mm. So you might, one of the indications for the ECG might be because. the fam someone in the family has prolonged QTC and you need to screen them. Mm. Um, in the first six and um, six months of life, the QTC is normal is usually normal if it's less than 0.49 seconds. Then as they grow up, the cutoff changes to about 0.44 seconds. So 440
0: 40 milliseconds. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. Um, then also important to check the morphology of the T waves, including the T wave um, inversions. Um, and they that can be suggestive of some myocardial dysfunctions um, and some metabolic disorders.
0: I was actually reading about T-wave inversion recently where people used to hold their breath for flipped T-waves. Oh, right. No. no. One of the nurses was saying that oh, no, 10, 15 years ago they used to hold their breath and see if T-waves would flip back around. Oh, right. That's weird. Yeah, yeah I was never like, heard ah! that either. No, it was weird.
1: Cool. Um, yeah, so then we spoke briefly, the axis. So T-wave axis we spoke about has to be positive in uh avf mm-hmm. and two and negative in avr um, if it's negative in other leads um, you then think there might be some other electrical conduction direction maybe abnormal um can have low atrial or left atrial pacemakers um, even some left atrial rhythms can have positive p waves um, when it should be negative We're
0: up to qrs axis is that right
1: yes cool And similar as in adults, you're looking at one and AVF, Mm -hmm. and there's a few methods to just sort of eyeball the axis or if you want to work out the actual um, vectors and get out the exact degrees. But normally you know the QRS is going to be positive in AVF. Um, The negative QRS can be uh, present in some cardiac malformations, uh, most commonly in ASDs or univentricular hearts. Mm. And a biphasic QRS in AVF may be normal, but you also need to review it by a pediatric cardiologist because it could show an underlying heart disease as what, well.
0: What's a univentricular heart? What does that mean? They've
1: just got one ventricle. ventricle. Yeah. You can have that. Yes. What? I oh, know. It needs to be corrected, but.
0: Well. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm learning something every day, dude.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and um, then yeah. as we look through the ECG, uh, we can start to scan for some. Um, structural abnormalities uh, looking at each uh, chamber of the heart and seeing if it's enlarged. So there's a few little rules of thumb mm. um, such as the right, right ventricular hypertrophy so that's when we're looking to see if the right ventricle is big and we just need to look at V1 for this one just keep it simple. Keep it simple. V1 yes. ventricular hypertrophy. Which is on the right side. Done. So <laughs> normally when a um, uh, baby's born For the first few days of life the T-wave is positive in V1, then after day 7 they invert and they remain inverted until somewhere around adolescence, somewhere between 6 and 12. It is variable so it becomes difficult Um, and they do call that um, juvenile T-wave inversion in those V1, V2, V3 which is very normal. normal. But if after those seven days and before adolescence, the T wave in V1 becomes positive, then you worry that they might have some sort of right ventricular hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. Um, The other things you look for is an RSR pattern in V1, where the R prime, that second rabbit ear, is going to be taller than the first. Um, If there's just a pure R wave in V1 after about six months of age, and a Q-wave in V1 is always bad. Okay. So need to get that one seen to as well. No
0: one likes Q-waves.
1: No, <laughs> especially in children. <laughs> awesome, cool. Yeah. Then we can look at the left ventricular hypertrophy. And so on the opposite end of your precordial leads is V6. Yeah, so that's the sits, Yes, so yep. that sits on the other side of the heart there on that left side. Yeah. And the simple way to look at this is if that R-wave on that V6... Um, so tall, it intersects the baseline of lead 5. Yep. So if the, it goes all
0: the way tall and touches the ECG above. But yes. The, yep.
1: But it's got to be that baseline. It's not just the two complexes. It's yep. got to cross that V5 Base midline. Yep. Yeah. The isoelectric line. Yes, yep. exactly. And then you can call that LVH.
0: Which is not as common as the RSR. Like, it's not as common, the left... Oh, it can laboratory. be. It
1: depends what's wrong with the okay. underlying structural disease. Yep. Um, in adults, there's a whole... Half a dozen different formulas to oh, learn, Yeah. but this one just keeps it simple. Look at V1 for the right heart, V6 for the left, left side of the side, heart. Easy, right at the start, left at the end. Easy. Yes, <laughs> cool. Uh, then we can check the atrial enlargement. Um, so we look at the P waves, and often, so sort of lead two or V1 is sort of good. Looks sits mm. over the atria. So if the P wave is taller um, than two small squares in an infant or three small squares in a um, adolescence it might indicate right atrial enlargement and you saw call that P pulmonale. Um, you do get the right atrium depolarizes before the left atrium so if that P wave duration is greater than two small boxes in the infants and three small boxes in the adolescence then we look at the left atrial enlargement. Um, or they might develop these bifid P-waves, which is p mitrali which is where there's a little notch in that P-wave. Yeah.
0: I've seen that like a p waves being like an M, yes. or like one being like a tall mountain and one like a small mountain.
1: Exactly, and the way I remember that is if the P-wave looks like an M and yep. it's a bit widened, it's going to be an M for the mitral valve, okay. which sits on the left side of the heart. Yep. And if it's tall um, and peaked, P for the pulmonary valve, which means it sits on the right side of the heart. Um, yeah, easiest on. way to remember that one. Cool, I like it. Good to have acronyms to remember.
0: Yes. Things. It needs to be simple.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Tachycardia, this is. Yes. Dude, aren't they all tacky? Like. They are, but you've got to check what's normal for this age. <laughs> I like it. So you need to have a look at the rhythm, seeing if it's regular or irregular. Fastest heart rate you've seen in a kid? Oh, 250, 260 maybe? Wow, okay. Up cool. there. Fast, fast, fast. Yeah. So look if it's regular or irregular. Yep. Look at that QRS complex, see if it's wide or narrow. Yep. Again, being mindful of the ages. Mm-hmm. And then looking, is there a P wave um, in the front of every QRS complex? And sometimes sinus tachycardia can be differentiated by other tachycardias by a narrow complex and a P wave that precedes every QRS. Cool. Um, there's a few other uh, important findings for pediatric ECGs. So Wolf Parks and White, mm-hmm. which we mentioned earlier, uh, with the short PR, and then they normally also have a wide QRS complex, and they have that sort of delta wave, which is this sort of slurring, this little notch on the upstroke of that QRS. Okay. So we're looking for that short PR, wide QRS, and this delta wave. Um, they can also have some SVT as well, which can Ooh. obscure the delta wave, um, because it's so fast, um, it's taking different um, accessory pathways. Yeah. Uh, the other most common um, arrhythmia in children is SVT, so your supraventricular tachycardias. Yeah. Um, in newborns, it can occur. Um, often the heart rate is greater than two, six, 220 sorry, beats per minute. Mm. It can be up to 280. Wow. Um, whereas in an older child, it's defined as a heart rate more than 180. Yeah. Um, the ECD, e, uh, sorry, ECG for the SVT has a narrow complex... Uh, tachycardia and you can't really see any P waves and there's no real beat to beat variability mm. so it's this very regular narrow complex tachycardia oh, yeah. with no P waves um, if the child's less than 12 most commonly is from an accessory pathway in the um, atrioventricular pathway whereas in adolescence the AV node re-entry tachycardia becomes more evident okay. which of these sort of more in depth yeah. looks at the tachycardia's mm. Um, again, atrial ectopic tachycardias, um, this is where we look at the P-wave morphologies. and There is often a P-wave, but they're different morphologies than the sinus and the SVTs. But each P-wave, there is a P-wave and then it's conducted to the ventricle causing a uh, QRS. But because it's an ectopic atrial focus, um, it can determine what the uh, ventricular rate is.
0: Cool.
1: Um, again, we can look at our uh, wide-complex tachycardias. These are the scarier
0: ones? Yes. Okay.
1: And these ones you need to work out if it's a sinus or a supraventricular tachycardia. Do they have a bundle branch block or aberrancy? Um, is there some sort of antidromic re-entry tachycardia? Is it a VT or VF? Okay. Um, the sort of ECG's findings that support the presence of VT can include AV dissociation with the ventricular rate exceeding the atrial rate. Hey, okay. So you can see there's a lot more QRS complexes than the P waves. Yep. Um, and there's a prolonged QRS as well. Um, you can also look for your fusion and capture beats. Um, if there is a right bundle branch block, uh, the presence of VT is supported by the QR complex in V1 and quite a deep S wave in V6.
0: Similar to adults? Yes. Yep.
1: And if there's a left bundle branch blocks... Uh, With the VT, it's got a notched S wave and an R wave duration um, of greater than 0.03 in V1, V2, and the Q wave in V6. And then one of the other things we can check for in children, which we'd look for findings on the ECG, Mm -hmm. um, is HOCM or the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy, Mm -hmm. um, where we're concerned for sudden death and structural heart disease. Uh, Only about 2% of cases occur in children less than 5 years of age. And then about 7% occur in children less than 10. Have so you not... seen
0: um, hi- cardiomyopathy in children?
1: No, I don't right. think I've actually come across one.
0: No, I haven't either, but yeah. Yeah,
1: and they do have variable um, ECG findings. Yep. So you might find some left atrial, atrial, atrial enlargement or mm-hmm. some left ventricular hypertrophy. There's often some ST-segment abnormalities. There's often T-wave inversion. Uh, quite often there are Q-waves, and they describe it as like this dagger Q-wave, this really sharp, deep uh, Q-wave. Can't miss it. (laughs) Yeah, they might have no R-waves in the lateral leads, and then they might have premature atrial and ventricular contractions, supraventricular tachycardias. Uh, They might have this multifocal ventricular dysrhythmias, or a new onset AEF might also be present. New onset
0: of AEF, Yeah. Yeah,
1: especially in the child. Yep. And there's also a nice little table we can throw in... Yeah, nice. Uh, ...to the um, notes. Um, yep. Just with some of the things to look out for for various sort of congenital heart diseases, whether it's an ASD, VSD, um, coarctation, transposition of great vessels, and some of the things to look for um, with the blocks and the ventricular or chamber enlargements. This
0: is cool. It goes through all the different
1: types. Yes. Love it. Um, then, last one we would check more in kids is... Um, the myocarditis okay. and so this one we're looking for some of the ECGs and the most common one the most common ECG finding is the sinus tachycardia in kids yes yeah. or in adults too so these are kids that might have had a bit of a fever might have had a bit of a viral illness and they still have that persistent tachycardia mm-hmm. um, despite them fever coming down okay or if their hydration's corrected yeah. Um, if they've still got this ongoing Tachycardia, you have to be suspicious of a myocarditis. probably. Do- yes. Yep. So looking for a Tachycardia faster than expected. Um, there is a rule of thumb about 10 beats per minute for each degree of temperature elevation. Whoa, um, I've never heard of that. No, so I think it's more American. I don't know if it's more in okay. the Fahrenheit rather yes. than Celsius. Still, it's interesting. I don't know how true that is. Yeah. Um, but they can also get all sorts of dysrhythmias as well yeah. uh, with the myocarditis. So they might get a junctional tachycardia, they might get ectopic beats, ventricular tachycardias, second, third degree AV blocks. Um, their T waves may be flattened or inverted. They might have some small QRS complexes as well.
0: Mm. And low, low voltage.
1: Mm. Yes. Um, and then there's a nice little table here we can include as well in the notes. Yeah. Which just gives everything from a f- one week old, month old, two, three, through the ages up to 16. And looking at which heart rate to expect, the QRS axis, the PR intervals, the QRS durations, then also the size of the R and S waves in the precordial leads. I love that on a
0: little lanyard,
1: hey, Oh when yes. you're
0: working.
1: It's good age. Hey? Just saved on my phone to never remember it. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, because that's interesting too. And it's funny how, you know, in younger kids, you know, that bradycardia is bad, you know what yes. I mean? Like we're, with adults, we go, oh, they're bradycardic, we're worried. In kids are worry when they're really bradycardic. When they're yes. tacky, like
1: 160, 180,
0: he's like, whatever. <laughs> it's funny. Yes.
1: Um, then we can leave a couple of references to a couple of good articles on yep. some approach to uh, paediatric ECGs, and this is where I really started to learn it. Yep. And then also a textbook on uh, how to read paediatric ECGs. Yep.
0: And before we get into some cases, for people that are learning about 12 leads, um... You know, what's one of the fear factors, do you think, when
1: ED when people look at PZCGs? Um, I think, as you mentioned, like, it's just that how fast they are and how small and narrow some of those complexes can be, picking up those subtle differences um, and not wanting to miss something. Mm. So in the adult one where it's a lot slower, the heart beats, and the complexes are a bit bigger, you can easily see little subtleties. Mm. Whereas in a uh, paediatric one, it's literally one little dot or half a millimetre uh it could be a huge difference for them.
0: Yeah. Okay. And you said about um rate-driven things like fevers, um, that could cause their rate to go faster. Yep. Um, drugs like I mean, there's drugs out there too. Like I'm sure, Sabutamol can increase rate. Yes. Um, there'd be heaps of different drugs that could. Some increase. of the
1: stimulants they take for ADHD. Yeah.
0: Mm. Um, guess that might be hard trying to you know get them to slow down. You know. Yes. Pediatric yep. ECGs, I think they're pretty intense. Um, I'm sure that you have to spend a lot of time looking at them, but I think we can take home some points from what Paul has taught us. Um, I loved how Paul was going through the physiology of kids and how their heart changes from when they get older. I think it's important to know that we can break down their heart rates um, and we know they're going to be faster, but they start to slow down as they get older. So newborns, around about 110 to 150 beats per minute, um, two years of age, around about 85 to 125 beats per minute is normal four years of age around about 75 to 115 beats per minute and above six years age it sort of goes to 60 to 100 beats per minute some cool things that paul raised one is the rhythm sinus so i love how paul said we look at the p waves and we look at the axis the normal p wave is always positive in lead to an avf and negative in avr so what we need to think about is can we see that the p wave is originating from the sinus node if we've got that, if we've got in lead 2 and AVF we have that positive and it's negative in AVR, then we know that it's coming from the sinus node. Any other rhythm that's coming from different, you know, different originations, we know that will not be a sinus rhythm. Now, the PR interval in younger kids, we know and in younger children and infants it's going to be smaller compared to adults. So we're going to expect in pediatric ECGs to see a short PR interval around about, you know, below 120 milliseconds that means that if we're looking for a heart blocking kids we're going to sort of see paul sort of said around four small squares so anything over that 160 milliseconds um, framework cool next if we see a long pr interval we can represent hyperkalemia septal defects asds and myocarditis and also we talked about heart blocks cool next QS complexes they're going to be shorter so we said pr is going to be shorter and QRS complex is going to be shorter they can be as short as 0.04 seconds, so one small square. Hence, that's going to be pretty hard to interpret. Um, and if it's more than 0.08, so 2, it can be a widened QRS complex. And that can represent bundle branch blocks or WPW or pacemakers. We'll in some white. And we know that's a thing that we want to look out for. We know that kids are going to be right heart dominant, so that right axis deviation. If we're looking for right axis deviation, we see that in leads three, sorry, 2, 3, and AVF. So they're going to be positive. And in leads 1 and AVL, they're going to be negative. Next, QRS duration. Now, we talked about being under about 80 milliseconds. Now, the QT interval. We get a prolonged QT interval and it can result in sudden death. We we don't want kids to have a prolonged QT interval too long. But it's important to know the normal. So the QTC in neonates, so up to six months of age, we sort of see that to be 0.49 seconds. And then after six months of age, we know that reduces down to about 0.44, okay? Next on the list, um, right ventricular hypertrophy. So that's just seeing is the right ventricle is big. Where do we look for that? We look for that in V1. Next, if we're looking to see if we've got left ventricular hypertrophy, we're going to see that in V6. And that's where the R wave intersects the baseline of V5 from that midline. The next thing, we can see juvenile T waves, which we can see them in V1 and 3 v1 to v3 so v1 v2 and v3 and that can be normal in pediatric patients um, and we also see you can see t wave um, a positive t wave in v1 and then later on it inverts later on in life so those are some really cool take-home points i hope you like them um, that was just my quick summary you <laughs> Now, talking about P's ECGs, you work in the ED, and you've also I've also seen you rotate with the paediatric team, so you are doing something different to other emergency doctors. What are you doing? Yeah.
1: So I'm doing emergency training where I'm an advanced trainee yep. now, uh, one of the senior registrars, and part of that, I've decided to do extra training in paediatrics. So become a sort of subspecialist paediatric emergency physician.
0: Okay, so emergency, you know, you decided to just get more.
1: Yes, so if you couldn't have enough fear coming through that door, <laughs> get more. try and get some more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's interesting because you'll be working, hopefully, and you're going to work at some um, big tertiary paediatric hospitals as well um, to get some training in, in yes. stuff. Yes, yes, get a yeah.
1: whole range of skills and experiences. Yeah, from yeah. little tiny babies to newborns to adolescents anything in between well wow. and try and get some pre hospital in as well yeah awesome mm. pre-hospital stuff that's cool yeah um,
0: and why um ED you know there's a lot of specialties to do and if you love ped so much why not just focus
1: on pediatrics yeah I think it's the excitement of being in ED as you know Ben mm. and the very the variable cases we can get through that door and the unknown mm. so just sitting in a, in a resus room, not knowing what's going to come through that door mm. or that back phone ringing when you've already got 10 other patients who are deteriorating in front of you, what's going to happen next? Mm. Trying to respond to any and everything. Like, I don't like not knowing other areas, so I don't want just one skill set and can only mm. just look at the heart or just look at the lungs or just do neuro. Mm. I think being able to have an idea of how the whole body works in every emergency that comes through the door and then being able to help that patient as well. Mm. So obviously their most vulnerable times, scared and unknown. And then being able to say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to fix it in the next few minutes. And this is how we're going to stop you from dying. Mm. Um, And then the children are a whole nother level again with that unwell child, Um, the parents are coming in, the child's really trying to survive for life Mm. and you're trying to stop them from dying as well Mm. and keep them alive and sort out their issues. You would have seen
0: some sick kids in your time as a. Oh yes, yep. yes.
1: Yep. Some of those scariest ones, and also saddest and emotional ones. Yeah. The families, the children.
0: Mm. How, how do you cope with that if you don't mind me asking? Like you, it's a it's yeah. a big weight. Like you know, not every kid comes in that's well. Exactly. Especially some of the kids we're going to talk about in terms of case studies. Yeah. Some of those kids can have heart problems. Can have,
1: you know. Yeah, they have major, lifelong. Um, comorbidities from some of these things from a young from a young age mm. um, I think at the time you just have to look at that problem in front of you mm. uh, look at the patient, look at the parents, look at the family and do your best for that child mm. or that patient and then afterwards yeah it affects you different ways and some days you can walk away and it'll be fine and then some days some patients do weigh on you mm. and I think you just have to identify that Realize it's a. um, uh, It's like a. Is it? It's like a natural um, response um, to have that um, Mm. emotional response to some cases. Yeah. And then just identifying that within yourself and then debriefing with friends, family chatting to colleagues
0: I think I was a little bit shocked um, in the sense that you know we're talking about pediatric ECGs and then during the podcast we kind of went to this stage where there was this silence and I kind of realized that Paul would have seen some ECGs that wouldn't have been good you know imagine telling someone's family member that their kid has you know heart disease or their kid you know has some structural abnormalities to their heart and that their life trajectory is totally going to be different. Um, You know, I look at sometimes at medicine and think, oh, wow, exciting, how good is this? Even amongst the abnormal. And then to realize that actually someone behind it, and especially kids, they're so innocent and so little, that that can affect their life forever. Um, Life expectancy, um, morbidity, mortality to that child. Um, It just made me realize that, you know, imagine the things that Paul's seen uh, and the weight also on him as well when reading those ECGs, you know, one little mistake um, can mean that something is missed Uh, and it just made me realise, you know, when I take ECGs up now, um, I'm just going to make sure I'm just, you know, just a little bit more careful and maybe I look at them a little bit more closely. Um, Sometimes we get blase about, you know, giving uh, doctors ECGs or sometimes we get blase about um, explaining the story behind it but to realise that there's a person behind every story and especially a kid, um, they can't tell us what's wrong with them. Um, so I thought it was really interesting, and just how serious Paul does take his job. He really does care about every person, uh, the dual training, all that time, um, to understand two specialties. I also think this made me think about your colleagues that you work with. You never really know what cases affect each and every one of us. Um, but I think you need to be mindful, Know that a case that it might affect myself might not affect you, uh, and vice versa. I think this really made me realise that, um, especially those paediatric cases, I think they do affect us. And uh, I think we've got to be mindful about talking about those cases. Uh, so I guess as a side note, um, if you've had any you know, paediatric cases recently, make sure you're talking about it with your colleagues. Uh, make, making sure you're giving yourself a bit of grace, um, some downtime. Uh, they do affect you, and they, they should affect you, because... We do care, we do this job because we, we do care. But they shouldn't affect us so much that so we can't continue to, to move on as, as as clinicians. Now, for everyone out there that likes a bit of learning, here are some cases coming up. What you can do is you can stop the podcast, you can turn it off and you can hit the show notes, find the show notes, look at the ECGs. That me and Paul are talking about. And then we're going to discuss them now. So what I recommend is look at the ECG first. And then listen to the first case. And go from there. Um, this is a bit of an inter- interactive way to learn. I hope you like it. Something different. You. Talk me through this one. Yeah. I feel like I'm looking at an old man when I see this.
1: But I'm yes. assuming this is So this is one looks slow. Very slow. But you'd notice they're still very narrow, those complexes. Okay. Um, so this one was a... Pretty much immediately uh, after delivery of this baby. Um, and this one's quite We're talking slow. talking straight out. Like this would have be been like an hour or and- so. Yeah, very fresh. fresh. And this was an emergency caesarean for a fetal bradycardia. Fetal so bradycardia, okay. They found in utero the uh, fetal heart rate was about 80, which is 12. quite slow, which there yeah. can be a number of causes for that. Mm-hmm. And what you worry about is that baby's under distress. Okay. And their heart rate slowing down and can be quite um, like a pre-terminal sign. So need to get the baby out and then assess it as Mm. like do a full uh, neonatal assessment on this baby. Uh, Part of it was an ECG because they remain bradycardic.
0: Mm, Because we start CPR on bradycardic kids too, don't we? Sometimes.
1: Yeah. Once they get below sixty. Yeah. Well. Beats per minute.
0: And we're getting I'd be getting pretty nervous seeing this ECG. Yes.
1: So this one, so we can count the. Um, the big squares again going to work out the rate. So mm-hmm. we've got one, two, three, almost four. So it's about, oh, this one's about 80 beats per minute mm-hmm. yep. if we map it out properly. Mm-hmm. And even on the monitor, it was starting to go between 60 and 80. And you start to worry, does this baby need CPR? Yeah. Are uh, you checking the SATs and everything else? Um, again, we've got the right heart dominance, the right axis that we know for newborns. Yep. And then we've got to look at the rhythm as well so we know it's a narrow complex we've got a negative p wave in avr and positive in two and avf so we've got a sinus but as we follow along got a p wave a beat p wave beat p wave beat but then when we look in some of the other leads so these uh, right-sided precordial leads there's a little notching on this t T wave wave, yeah and actually on v1 uh, where the t wave's negative you can see a. Not like a P wave, a QRS, and another notch, and it looks almost identical to that P wave, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does too. So they're actually having a premature atrial contraction, so wow. like an additional P wave before it was meant to occur. Um, it wasn't being conducted, so the during this T wave, the ventricle is still repolarizing, and it's in this absolutely absolute period where it can't contract again. Mm. So it was having a P wave. A QRS and then another P wave, but it's not being conducted um, to cause a um, ventricular sure. contraction.
0: So it's just the P wave rebeating again. Yes. But you're not getting ventricular contraction. So it's just exactly. an extra P wave.
1: And then there's a um, compensatory pause afterwards until the next P wave happens.
0: Wow. So you get... Wow, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, so it's almost losing a beat. Yep. Um, and surprisingly, this is the most common um, arrhythmia. In neonatals and newborns. There you go. Yeah, the premature atrial contractions. And that's what they diagnose it on the ECG? Premature yes. atrial contractions. Yeah. Yep. We can see it's coming early, so it's premature. Yep. It's an atrial contraction. Yep. And you can have conducted and non conducted. So if there was another QRS after this then then a pause, we we'll call it conducted. conducted. Um Premature atrial contractions. Wow.
0: And so to paint the picture, you've got the P wave, a curious complex, and then you've got this P wave that pops happening up. Happening within this T
1: wave. Within this T wave. So often you can't see it in some of the leads. Yes. But, but the le- the leads that are sitting right over the atria, you can see it.
0: And that's important to realise when our lead placement, the V1 sits over the atria. So yes. So you do see more atrial... You can see good
1: atrial issues yes. like this. And this way, you've got to scrutinise every lead and yeah, okay. every complex. Yep. Wow, that's a good ECG. I like it. Yeah. And this is still the same uh, neonate Yep. Uh, this is about a day later you can see the heart rate's picked up a bit Um, it's it's only about two um, large squares, so they've picked up about 180, and on our rhythm strip we can see P-wave QRS, P-wave QRS, P-wave QRS Mm. and then every now and again it does do a premature atrial contraction has this compensatory pause, pause and then goes back to sinus again Yeah. but what's interesting here is we can have a look and it looks like If we look at this T wave morphology, it's become quite prolonged. So our QT um, length has what? Lengthened? Yep. And now that T wave is almost touching the next P P wave. wave. And so this uh, neonate then developed a prolonged QTC. And that's concerning. Oh, yes. And again, on the next ECG, you can see this nice um, T wave, which is almost touching the P wave. Wow. Yeah, so this was quite an interesting... No, no, where their ECG was changing over a couple of days. Same, then, that they came out first. With yes. Yep, okay. They came out Brady. They had the premature atrial contractions. Then that settled down. The heart rate sped up a bit, but then developed a prolonged QTC, mm. which then, a couple of days later, settled down as well. So really? don't, yeah, it was a weird, it was a unusual case. Lots of interesting ECGs to sit mm. over on night shift and... Uh, scratch our heads about.
0: And did cardio follow up with this kid or what was there end up?
1: Yeah, so they were f- reviewed uh, by cardiology remotely and the ECGs were checked. Um, and the baby remained on monitor for a few days. And mm. once everything normalised, uh, they were able to be, to be discharged home. Yep. Of course, their bloods and a few other things were checked. Yep. Um, and then they were going to be followed up in the cardiology clinic. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Cool. This one... Yeah, so we I can go that. through that systematic approach again. And yep. this was a three-month-old that presented with just a day or two of poor feeding, maybe a vomit. And mum just thought they weren't their usual self. So it's just one of those vague histories, but concerning mm. because mum's concerned. They brought them in. Uh, we need to look thorough to see what's going on mm. with this bub. Um, again, we looked at our rate-rhythm axis. It's um, sinus rhythm, as we said, mm-hmm. negative P-wave in AVR, positive in 2 AVF. Um, it's narrow complex regular sinus rhythm. We can see there's a P wave before each QRS. They do look like some of these QRS complexes are almost touching. Mm. If we look back at our rule for LVH, so V6 is not touching V5, no. so it's no LVH. Yep. Um, the V1 rules for um, RVH. It's got a normal um, RS complex, so there's nothing concerning for RVH yep. and then looking at the atria it's probably only about one and a half squares wide, maybe pushing too tall. Yep. So it's starting to get up there in the height. so maybe a bit of right atrial mm-hmm. enlargement, but not terrible. Yep. Um, but it's this one's got quite subtly, if we looked at some of these T-waves as you said they're looking tall, but if we look at how they're peaked and those peak T-waves which can be finding with hyperkalemia so this bub uh, ended up having hyperkalemia with a potassium about 7.8.
0: 7.8? Yeah. How old was the kid
1: again? Three months.
0: Three months.
1: And the sodium was about 110 as well.
0: So hyponatremia. Yes. Hyperkalemia. Yes. Causes was it a metabolic something? Weird? Uh
1: so that's what the concern was. So we had to treat the child. Mm. So of course, so treating same, same treatment like you just yeah.
0: dex and actrapid to yeah bring it down give and... a bit
1: of salbutamol as well if needed. Yep, because uh, that's the easy thing to grab for first. Ah, oh, okay. Um, giving some fluids. Um, concern for some sort of congenital adrenal hyperplasia, hmm. um, but then this child ended up having a um, pseudo hyperaldosteronism which will be a whole talk for another day. Yeah, okay, wow. Um, but a lot of electrolyte abnormalities from a renal cause. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So to recap, these T-waves, they're peaked. Yep. You sort of have to think about them being uncomfortable to sit on, is what someone's described them, and almost that tip's being pinched. Uncomfortable to sit on. So yeah. we're sitting on you know, T-waves, it's going to go me your bum. Exactly. So you'll look back at them, and when you look at your next ECG, you'll see they are curved at the top, but yep. these ones are just a little bit pointy that if you were to... Land on it, it wouldn't be comfortable. Yeah. Okay.
0: So then I always think when I'm looking at PZTs, could I sit on that? Could yeah. I sit on, on the Same for end? adults. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <sighs> I
1: like it. Um. This one, this case, we've got a 15 year old boy who's got some chest pain yep. a day after Pfizer. Um. Again, so we'll think about chest pain in a 15 year old. Um, after his Pfizer vaccine. So we're going to be worried about yeah, pericarditis, your um, myocarditis, nice. um, more so than any sort of ischemic causes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're having looked through, again, we look at our rate, rhythm axis, which mm-hmm. is normal axis. It's sinus rhythm. There's a P wave before each QRS, and it's all regular, narrow complex. And our rate is about, what is it? One, two, three, it's about 100 mm-hmm. Um but then when we look around, we can see our PR yeah, depression, depression. Yeah, can see are scattered out through most leads. A little bit of ST elevation. yeah, can see um, in lead 3. Which can be sometimes normal finding, um, but it does look a bit more. It does look like it's sitting up, doesn't it? Yes, it does. AVF, oh. you can see it, and lead 3, you can yeah, see Yeah, especially it. these inferior ones. Yes. And then some of these leads, you see this downslope between the TP. Um, yep. which is what's called spotic sign Spotic sign okay. yeah which is very specific for pericarditis spotic yes okay well awesome um, love it yeah so it's one of those things to just look out for uh, a few nice interesting findings on this uh, ECG so yeah about 80% of patients with uh, pericarditis will have the spotix sign awesome there we go yes yeah, and this child end up having a bit of a trop leak hey. um, start on some uh, anti-inflammatory medications so, and yep. and cardiology to follow up with the echo. Mm. Um, cool, interesting. Yeah. Are they
0: still doing cultures? See, no. Cult- not at this age, usually. No, not
1: cultures. Usually just Just um, and. Yeah. Um, yep. Then see, get them to the cardiologist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and this uh, last case, um, which was a four-year-old girl, and interesting history. In that it was for a sort of syncopal episode, she sort of had a couple of days where she was running around and sort of stopping and sitting down, That's and also a bit of a vague history of was she trying to catch her breath, was she tired, okay. why was she actually sitting down, um, and did she have a real syncope? It's sometimes hard, like you know, it was one that was um, I was asked to review. Yep. So you're being told by a junior doctor, hey, can you? Oh, just what's another situation? colleague. Yep. Um, and they were a senior colleague as well. Yeah. Um, and we were discussing differentials, and I said, all right, let's go through this CCG, and yep. this is one we've gotten. So what are you well, jumping out I, at you? I, I
0: look at it now, and I think lead three looks weird to me. When I just, if yeah. I snapshot it, P um, waves are upside down. My T waves are upside down as well. Yes. Um, in terms of its rate, oh, gee, it looks irregular. I think it looks irregular. It is, yeah. It's irregular
1: to me, so I'm a bit like, oh, gosh, irregular. We'll check our P-wave access, negative in AVR, positive in 2 and AVF, so it's sinus rhythm. Is that narrow complex um, QRS. Um, we have a look at the rhythm strip, and there is a P-wave before each QRS. But it, you can see it's going fast, then slow, fast, then slow. Mm. And that's actually a common finding in children called sinus arrhythmia. Okay. And that's just where they're taking their breath in, it increases the intrathoracic pressure and it actually speeds up a bit. When they breathe out, it slows down. Really? So next time you pick up the ECG for kids, you will see it goes fast, slow, fast, slow. Okay. Um, so that bit's all right. Yes. Um, and as you said, there is a inverted T T-wave. wave in three. Yeah. Uh, but it's just sort of isolated. There is a small little Q wave in AVL, um, which is again non-specific. Yep. But having a look at the subtleties here in the R wave in these inferior leads, there's a little notch. You can just sort of make it out. Yeah, okay. And probably a little bit of a notching in here as well. Um, And the PR interval looks a bit long. Mm. It's almost, what is this? One, two, three, four squares. We're talking about those heart blocks? Yeah. Or what other causes of prolonged... So it could be a bit of a heart block, but other things on our list of prolonged PR interval... Uh, was for ASD. this child was an ASD, D. Yeah, yeah, so an atrial septal defect, and these notchings on the um, inferior R waves yeah. is uh, called a uh, chatage sign. So it's a bit like you know, the crocheting hook. Yeah. So you get these little notchings uh, on the inferior R, R waves, um, which is quite suggestive of um, ASD. Hey, And we think this kid who's having these syncopal episodes, they're exerting themselves, syncoping. Um, possibly having some ASD. So they've gone off to cardiology to get a formal echo.
0: Wow.
1: Um, Yeah. Did this story make you concerned as a clinician when you hear those stories of syncope in kids? Yeah, you've got to think what can cause syncope. Mm. So think about arrhythmias and structural heart defects. And you see there's a bit of abnormalities in these QRS complexes. So you're thinking, all right, what is there? What can this little notch mean? Mm. Um, what some prolonged PR intervals mean love mm. it dude this is awesome yeah I think it's a great case this one
0: definitely and it's good I've learned so much this way we chatting with you dude yes legend you hey legends just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to the EdgM podcast and also thank you to Paul what a flippin' wizard man this guy was awesome um, I'm gonna put the ECGs in the case notes attached to the podcast so hopefully you stop the podcast and you look at the ecgs yourself i'm also going to put some really awesome resources that paul's got for me they're going to be in the show notes if you really want to learn more about pediatric ecgs there's going to be a heap of information for you to get to um, once again please follow me on instagram um underscore podcast um, please hit me up a message send it to your friends um, please listen on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever streaming services you use. Um, and please, you know, hit me up a message as well. I'd love to hear what you're doing. Once again, um, thank you for listening to the EDJM. You! And the kid wasn't confused with a sodium of 110?
1: Well, who knows with a three-month-old. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Idiot. Me, <No, yeah>. yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>